We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Art Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers try to continue their currently undefeated road trip with what I think is the toughest stretch. They've got Cleveland tonight, a very good Cleveland Cavaliers team, and then Toronto tomorrow on the second night of a back-to-back. And they'll be a little bit shorthanded with a role player who's emerged. Mike, what's going on with Wenyan Gabriel? Yeah, we just found out this morning Gabriel has a shoulder sprain, um, so he's going to be out at least a week. Now, a shoulder sprain, don't. This is not something. This is not a official uh, official update or anything. But I think it's something that generally ends up sort of working itself out or healing itself. It's not, you know, something like a that you know that is necessarily going to be a very long term thing. But even being out a week is significant, just based on how Gabriel has been playing off the bench. And I know like at Washington, for example, he didn't play a lot. He only played nine minutes, but he was pretty consistently playing anywhere from, you know, 13 to 20 in the previous matches up to that uh, games. I'm saying matches. I'm watching soccer here um, <laughs> games up to that point. And I think that like, they're going to have to figure out what to do uh, in that spot. It's going to be more Thomas Bryant, but then there's that, that one extra spot that uh, Darius, I'm sure we'll get into here. Yeah, I'm, one of the things that has been a delight to watch is Winning Gabriel and Thomas Bryant just sort of wreak havoc on second units and second units that are typically smaller as well. And so they both bring physicality in their own ways. Winning isn't a dude who is knocking you around by any stretch of the imagination, but he is very quick to his spots. Pete, you, um, there's a great video that was put out by the Lakers. It's on their YouTube channel about how Wedyard has earned a rotation spot that uh, I encourage everyone to check out. You'll hear some familiar voices on uh, that one for sure. But that video highlighted, Pete, a lot of the work that Wenyan does um, around the basket and just in transition and the motor that he plays with has been super useful on these bench groups, particularly the ones led by Russ, 
And Wenyon's just a nice compliment with Russ in his own way and his motor and rebounding and just transition ability are a good match for LeBron and AD as well. And so he's one of those universal role players in, mm-hmm. in his own way, even if he's not necessarily a skill guy, which is like what we've often talked about is needed next to LeBron, Russ and, and AD, whether as a collective or individually. Right. So Losing him is tricky, and I think TB can step in in a lot of ways and be that motor big that runs with Russ and helps on the defensive glass and is just a physical presence. But losing that second guy where they were really tag teaming, like a lot of second units, um, that's a different equation with a new variable that needs to fill in. And I don't know if the Lakers have that guy on their roster at all, actually. Yeah, that's part of the issue is that we've been without one of our guards in the vast majority of our games this season. And due to the glut of guards that we have, it's been fine. And right. It's been there's somebody of kind of equivalent uh, quality that's able to step in or close to it. that's able to step in and kind of just keep things running. Whereas Mike with Wenyon being out, I think that just we're shallower there. The first guy that comes to mind to me in terms of how do we address that is JTA because he is a motor guy. He is a defensive player, kind of that a, a glue guy type of player, but he's a lot smaller than Wenyon, right? Like if you're asking him to play a small ball four, he's just a smaller dude, right? And so there are things that that come with that, that uh, he's the guy that my mind first goes to in terms of stepping in. But we've also seen Darvin, went, before he started playing Wenyon and TB together, be like, hey, we're going to go with these four guard groups and we're going to have, you know, big in the middle holding it down. And we've seen more zone defense, which I think is something that's likely if TB's minutes get pushed forward. Because I think the problem that Darvin has with TB, TB is that he's not much of a rim protector. He's actually a guy that that teams attack. So you go from Anthony Davis, who's arguably the best defensive player in the world to a guy that he's actually the entry point of uh, the other team's offense, right? The guy that they go after. And so I, the, the zone is kind of a way to, uh, to bridge that a bit, but I'm curious, Mike, what, what direction do you see us going in, in terms of covering for Wenyon over the course of this week? Yeah, unfortunately they don't have a lot of options. I think the first one is just to extend Thomas Bryant's minutes more, but he had been playing since he had been playing alongside Wenyon, there isn't another big there that they can just call upon. So it's going to have to be JTA playing up. And it also, at least right now uh, for this game tonight, won't be Max Christie who's on assignment uh, with the South Bay Lakers. So mm-hmm. maybe Christie gets recalled for, so, you know, just so they have another body with some size that they could use on the wing, because I think the look that I have liked the least probably Darius this season is just playing the extra guard and just saying, well, maybe we try to get some more spacing on the other end and just go offensive. And I know you've been mining light up data as usual. I don't know if you've looked specifically at those types of groups, but that's where I'm with Pete, where that first option is either more JTA or just almost splitting up some of LeBron and AD's minutes a little bit more to get mm-hmm. some size, additional size from one of those two and some to anchor some of those groups. So I have not mined the guard data, um, but I will look at that soon and come back with some numbers. I think it would be a mistake to say, like, let's replace Wenyan Gabriel with Kendrick Nunn. Like, let's play Kendrick exactly. Nunn here. Yeah, that's, like, and that's I, a possibility. Yeah, I just think that would be a mistake. Now, if the coaches go in that route, like, I'm sure that they have good reasons for that. I, I just... 
I just see more pitfalls going down that route than um, than potential benefits. A guy who I think is interesting, who hasn't been brought up yet, is Troy Brown. So mm. Brown is often one of the first subs out when the bench groups come in. And mm. Brown didn't even start the last game. Beverly started for Brown. And so I'll be interested to see what the starting lineup looks like. This was some stuff that I was sending to you guys before we started to record. But um, the Lakers still don't have a five-man lineup that's played more than 47 minutes this season. Fewest in the league, second season in a row. Yeah, and and part of that is injuries, but guys have been healthier for longer this year. And and so, like, some of it, too, is just like, oh, Lonnie missed a couple of games here, and then Pat Dev missed a couple of games here, and like, oh, well, Austin's starting this game, but not that game, and whatever, right? Some of it, too, though, is also, like, Darvin searching for, you got this new group, a bunch of guys of kind of similar, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of guys written in pen in the starting lineup. And so, if you look at the lineup data, we have several groups that are in the 40s worth of minutes. But 47 is the most of any group played. So it's kind of speaks to that idea of that we got a bunch of groups that we've gone to. So part of that's Darvin trying things and he's landed on a few things that have worked. Yeah, which brings me back to Troy Brown, Mike. And Brown was the odd man out, so to speak, of the starting lineup the 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 last game. Um Dennis came back. Um and Instead of moving Pat Bev to the bench, they moved Troy Brown to the bench and they kept Pat Bev into the starting lineup. Brown is also that guy that has played as a quote unquote small ball four, right? Mm-hmm. He defended Kevin Durant some in some of those smaller lineups when the Lakers played the Nets and it was just KD as the four spot and AD was playing center, right? And, and there's there's merit to say, well, he's at, he may not play with motor necessarily, but... There is some merit to say, well, he's a guy you trust. He's a guy who who has played in the, you know, 25 minutes here, 29 Mm -hmm. minutes there, a 30 minute game here. And Mm -hmm. if you're going to continue to start a smaller group potentially and start Pat Bev, right, so he can guard up on the wing, then Brown is naturally on the bench now and finding ways to manipulate some of your bench groups so that Brown might get some extra shifts and then you stay big and maybe TB picks up all of Wenyon's minutes, but those stretches where they play together, Brown is in the game instead, mm-hmm. rather than saying, let's go small and play like a fourth guard, right? And Or th- there now there's three small guards in the lineup. Like, no, how about we replace one of those small guards with Troy Brown? That's an option to me too. I think the beauty for the Lakers and all of this, though, is that when you have this version of Anthony Davis that's that's been the focus of everything, all of these seem like at least slightly lesser concerns, even though it's a concern. It's nice. And they have to, <laughs> you know, they have to cover for it in other ways. Like they're, when you're getting a baseline of MVP caliber performance from your from a guy like Anthony Davis, then there are more solutions to be had. And just just because it's going to make everything on the court a little bit different, Pete. 
hundred percent. It's over in the text thread. We've been talking lately about how the defensive concept of this team kind of reminds us of the Orlando Dwight Howard teams where basically it was Dwight in the middle and you had Richard Lewis at the four, who was hardly a defender. Hito Turkoglu at the three. I think he had Courtney Lee at the two, who was their main perimeter defender. And then Jameer Nelson in the backcourt, right? And that team made it all the way to the finals by virtue of just having this incredibly dominant defensive presence at the five. And so that's kind of where my mind goes, though, D, with this team and in terms of the lineups that we can play. I like Troy Brown and I hear you on that. And he's often been the four in a lot of the small ball lineups that we have seen. That are, But I remember him telling Mike uh, in the preseason, he's like, I actually like to guard down. I like to guide, guard guys who are smaller than me. And I feel like in the groups that have not worked, because I agree with Mike that like some of my least favorite groups have been the super small groups. Like you need to have Anthony Davis out there if you want to go super small elsewhere, because you're never going to dip below a certain floor defensively so long as AD is out there. But the groups with TB out there, I think we're being very ambitious, thinking that we can have TB in the middle spot while also going smaller and having Troy Brown at the four. Well, one of the things that the Lakers did against Washington is they played Anthony Davis and Thomas Bryant against those lineups that had both Daniel Gafford and Chris Stapps Porzingis, right? Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons why Wenyon only played the nine minutes that you said that he played the last game. Now, maybe his shoulder was bothering him too, and we just didn't know about that, and it wasn't something that came up. Like, no one was asking Darvin post-game about uh, Wenyon Gabriel's minutes. I think a lot of questions were asked about 55 points and whatnot, right? And, and so storylines sort of write themselves. And now this morning, it's like, hey, Wenyon's got a bum shoulder. He's he's going to be out. And we're sort of seeking out solutions. But it could have been that Darvin sought out solutions the last game and we just didn't know about sure. it and it didn't come up, right? So I think Mike raises a great point um, with the idea of like, hey, well, Anthony Davis is there as a potential solution uh, just overall, right? He's played so well, but he could also be that guy who slots a power forward some. Like I wrote an article that ran at Silver Screen and the Rule yesterday about AD playing the most center he has of his career and sort of that being something that he hasn't necessarily embraced in the past, but this year he's like producing one of the best seasons that he's had. But at the end, I sort of say if but if he wanted to play more power forward or if he ended up playing more power forward this season, I think he'd be pretty good at doing that, too. And so he could slide next to TB in some of these minutes, too, and effectively take some of those Wenyan minutes, Mike. Well, this has me thinking about roster overall again, and we haven't mentioned one name, and that's Damian Jones. And I wonder if this is a spot where you try to get a look at him again and see what he's, see how he's playing. See if he's playing better than earlier this season. Um, but if you're not willing to do that, or, or if that's not something that seems palatable, then that, that tells you something maybe about the roster Pete in terms of mm. having another big that you feel comfortable putting into a game. Um, so I'll be interested this week, you know, whether it's against Cleveland, we'll see if Jared Allen's going to play. He hasn't played since the 25th of November and is questionable with a back, which I guess means he could return, but 
that just something that came to mind too, as we're, we're looking at solutions and we didn't think about the actual big, I know when is isn't a center, but you know, then sure. you could almost use TB at like power forward or something. No, hundred percent. And yeah, I'm curious to see if Jones gets a look, especially with the zone looks that we've pr- been presenting is that like you can run two traditional fives in a two, three zone more often than you can in man to man coverage. It gets a little tricky on the offensive end D, but that is, that is one of the routes that we go. And so that's a great point that Mike brings up especially in the context of like, we're probably going to make a trade or two. And so watching this team develop, I've thought more and more that we need a backup big more than a starting big. It's going to be one of those litmus tests where we see to what degree that is true. And so on on multiple levels, where it, whether it's the games this week, but also the overall broader roster construction, what is the final version of this team going to look like? I think this week's super interesting in that how much do we need a backup big or just another big on the roster? Yeah, and how Anthony Davis, the level that he's been playing to, to speak to Mike's point earlier, has papered over a lot of stuff that you typically like. Yeah. Like in the same way that like Luca papers over the fact that like, Oh, well, maybe we don't have as much ball handling. Well, guess what? This you other dude, he, yeah, yeah he's, <laughs> he's so good at this. That's yeah. just like, he'll just eat up those, those possessions, right? And, and so AD plays 39 minutes against the Bucks, and it's just like, yeah, well, there's only nine more center, center minutes anyway. And, and sure. so now he's not going to play that much each night. Um, but I think my point remains that how important is a big when you're the guy who's been playing like one of the best players in the league and is on your team has effectively has effectively been playing that that position and 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 then we still have to talk about LeBron and where LeBron slots in he's been playing way less center since AD has has Mm -hmm. has started to play this well and I think that's by design and He's also been commandeering more possessions as a ball handler, LeBron has, which then starts to make it so that, like, what are your needs in the backcourt? And it's one of the reasons why I think behind the scenes, when we've been been talking, we've been landing more on, like, what the team actually needs as a forward, right? Because if Russ mm-hmm. has been handling the ball the way that he has and Dennis has found some footing as a starter, I think, as, as a ball handler, and then LeBron is also going to handle the ball, and then AD's got the center minutes on lock— basically okay well what do you actually need as as a team and in talking about playing against the Cavs and then even more so playing against the Raptors I think that's where you're going to see like oh well damn yeah I think we actually do need another forward in the mix here because these teams not necessarily the Cavs with the forward spot, but just like more size on the perimeter that could sort of be like, hey, we're not getting shot over the top of by elite shooting guards. And then what the problems that the Raptors pose are on a whole different level and of and and of a different type. I'm rambling here, but you get where I'm going, right? That it's just like, oh, this we've been learning more about the team. And I, I think we're all sort of on the same page about what the needs are. For sure. Yeah, that Toronto game, especially with all of the the wings they have, they are well equipped to take advantage of, I think, some of the roster weaknesses that we have. And on the second night of a back to back, like I said, this is going to be a tough couple of games. Very curious to see how we do. Let's take a break. We come back. I actually want to focus on one of our guards in the second half. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com So Dennis Schroeder got a late start to this season, guys, and I've been struck by the difference in his style of play over this short stretch so far versus what he was in the 2021 season. In that 2021 season, he was... He was identifiably the number three guy on that team in terms of expectations, offensive load that he looked to carry. And he put up numbers that were sim- that were comparable to that. And then when he didn't in the playoffs, especially once AD went out, wasn't able to step into that second option type of role. He wasn't able to to rise up to that challenge. And, uh, and we ended up losing in the first round. But He's one of those guys, you said something recently, D, you've said this about a couple of guys, which I think is a good sign on the team, but you said something along the lines like, if he scores 15 points, we're going to win the game. Or, you know, like if he produces offensively to a certain level, whereas like that was one of the things that we needed with the previous version of him. We need you to score 15 points on this team because we got a lot of those D and three guys and there just has to be a certain level of offensive production. On this team, however, Mike, he's had several good games where he's had five points and eight assists and six points and five assists, but he defended well, right? He's more, he's not a three guard necessarily in terms of knocking down threes, but he is, I think, a defense first role player on this team in a way it's just different than the first time he was there. And I've really liked his passing to AD. He's had a number of assists to him too. So what are you seeing from Dennis, Mike? Well, assist to turnover ratio is, I think, one of the most simple ways to understand point guard play. And when you, if you just sort 
in the league stand uh, settings for assisted turnover type point guards. You're you're usually going to see guys that are in some sort of positive net rating when you go for the high assist and low turnovers. Mm. And mm-hmm. Dennis hasn't traditionally always been like that. He's been more of a, a six-man scoring type. And even when he started, he's been a little bit more of an attack player. But yeah, Pete, you're right. I mean, think about the Washington game, eight assists and two turnovers. And then in November, he averaged, let's see, 3.6 assists to just one turnover. And that's, that's excellent. Great. It's a really good rate. And it's also, it's what they need because Westbrook is not a, I mean, he's had pockets before where he's had like really high assists, but his turnovers have always been up there too. And mm-hmm. so far this season, his turnovers are up, uh, even though the, that's starting to get better for him. And the bronze assisted turnover ratio um, has been has been like at times less balanced than than it can be for him too. So to have a player come in uh, and do that is interesting. And he's been a low volume shooter as well. Like he only shot forty percent November, but he only took six point nine shots per game. And that's the difference of a couple that rim in and out. You know, but this is the thing I always talk about: the difference between thirty seven and forty three is mm-hmm. like two shots. So that part I think has been encouraging for Dennis for sure, Darius. He has found his rhythm as what I will say this. He is embracing the ask. And this is where I want to. Well, I don't want to talk about Darvin, but just keep that in your head. Whenever you see a player who is sort of just like, like just doing what's asked of him and you don't hear it in the media. No one's talking about their role anymore. No one's talking about like, oh, I'm confused about my role, which happened a fair amount last season, like no mm-hmm. shots at Frank, but it's just like, that's, that's what happened last season. Those are like red flags about like what's going on with the culture of your team and just how disgruntled players are or, or are not. And so, and this goes back to what Dennis said when he first came on board, Mike, which was like, like, I'm basically here because of Darvin Hare, right? Like, like, yes, there's unfinished business and there was all this other stuff, but like Darvin was at the top of that list. And so I think Dennis inherently trusts Darvin. Darvin has put Dennis in a position to be a starting player again in this league. And Dennis is doing what's needed within the context of what the starters actually want from him, Pete, which is like ball handling, getting guys organized, playing off the ball whenever LeBron wants to take a possession and just be like, I'm bringing the ball up, go stand in the corner. And Mm -hmm. they're not. And standing in the other corner, too. Like the action is coming for a pin down for Lonnie Walker. The action's not going to come for you. Dennis. You get to stand over here while LeBron sets this other thing up. And then every once in a while, you're you're going to get to run a couple of pick and rolls. Oh, look at this. AD is rolling hard. They've both come to him and you get to shoot your elbow jumper, right? And there's a lot more of like, oh, not, not because he's passing to this level, but it's just like, this is a much more like Ricky Rubio-ish sort of role than, <laughs> sure. than, than it is what you think of like a Dennis Schroeder type of role, right? Which is like downhill, downhill, downhill. I'm looking to score. I'm looking for mine. He is he has taken a lot of that stuff out of his game. And he is now slotted as basically like the fourth guy in these lineups a lot of times where it is AD first, Braun, and then it is Lonnie. And then mm-hmm. after that, whatever sort of left for you, Dennis, you have to find and pick your spots. And he, that's what I've been most pleased with him about. Like, I still don't, I still don't think of him as a particularly like high level feel guard, right? He is 
he is coloring within the lines of what his role is. And in the past, his role was asked to be bigger and he would still color outside those lines, right? Like, oh, my role is bigger. So that means I'm going to attack more. I'm going to shoot more. I'm going to look for mine more. But as the ask is shrunk, he is he's actually taken on that mentality more. And that's what I've been really pleased with about him because he's really being a sort of a caretaker point guard, which is not something that you would have used to describe him in the past. A hundred percent. And I love that that you guys brought that up and then the assist assist turnover ratio because that all plays toward that. And to Mike's point about net rating, if you look at Dennis's numbers, he's amongst the best on the team in that respect. Now, he played in the part of the season. <laughs> I think part of it's coincidence, right? Like AD is dominant and that's the part that Dennis has played in. But that caretaking has been super important on a lower ask, like having players in the starting lineup who can be helpful while being low usage are helpful in that, uh, you know, LeBron and AD type of context. I just never thought Dennis Schroeder would be that type of guy. But while his asks on the offensive end have reduced, I would argue that his asks on the defensive end have gone up. On that 2021 team, we had so many perimeter defenders that he was good at it, but he wasn't asked to be like the main point guard defender. Whereas next to Alani Walker and with Pat Bev generally guarding the wing, and we'll see what happens there. I, I do think we need to get a legit small forward into that starting spot. But uh, but Dennis now Mike is asked to guard those primary ball handlers, those point guards that are around his size. And I think he's doing an excellent job of it. And I think it really helps the Lakers defense go. Well, so to broaden that a little bit uh, and feel free to zoom back in. Dennis fitting into this role and other guys kind of finding their ways within roles and make it makes me think of Lonnie Walker. And he's really solidified what he's supposed to do in the starting lineup. And of course, AD leading the way. But so all of this has gone right. And the Lakers have won a bunch of games and they've won eight of 10. And you look and they're still 13th in the standings. Now, they're Mm. close to sixth in some ways, like at this point of the season, they're only two and a half back of being six. But they're also in a tough back to back at Cleveland, Toronto. Right. They're also close to being several games under 500 again. So it just kind of goes to show how difficult the Lakers made things on themselves by starting two and 10 and by having some injuries and by not getting a couple breaks. But these things that have gone right and Dennis certainly being one of them and helping, it's just a, there, there is no time for the Lakers or really anybody uh, in the West to relax and to let off at all. And they, they still have to find ways to take care of business um, as, as these things go. So I, it's just something I was thinking about when I've been going through the standings and like, wow, eight of the Lakers are all of a sudden the toast of the town and ADs and MVP conversations and they're <laughs> you know 10 and 12. So just something to keep focus on. It definitely is, Mike. I wanted to hit something that Pete said because I think it's important about Dennis's defense is if you go to the basketball reference page, like one of Pat Bev's nicknames is like Mr. 94 feet. But mm-hmm. Dennis has actually been Mr. 94 feet. He's mm-hmm. the guy who's been picking, like, it's not only that he's playing good defense, Pete, it's the type of defense that he's playing. It's the fact that he is picking up full court that, mm-hmm. and he's not always pressuring the ball full court. In fact, most NBA players don't pressure the ball full, will, will full court, but he's offering some resistance in the backcourt in, in a way that is like, making a guy turn a couple of times or just making him feel that presence back there so that by the time the ball does get to the front court and teams are actually getting into their sets, maybe it's like 
16 seconds, 15 mm-hmm. seconds left, left on the shot clock. And then all of that does is enhance the idea of like, oh, here's Anthony Davis. So there were a couple of possessions both in the Bucks game and in the Wizards game where it's AD who's on a player late in the clock. And it's almost like, well, this dude has no chance. Yep. Like the offensive player literally has no chance against to score on Anthony Davis when the shot clock is under five. And now it's like he's holding a like that offensive player is holding a grenade at yep. that point. And, <laughs> and it's just like, like, no, like, yeah, go get a bucket against this dude. Like the guy who's playing like the best defensive player in the world right now. And and so Dennis is Dennis has been important in that way. And so I just wanted to to sort of double down on on what you were saying there, Pete, to bring it back to what Mike was saying about the schedule. Yeah, like I've been I've been super happy with the level of of uh, the team's play and then their recent results. And it's sort of that idea of like. A, a bit of disappointment like wait they're still in 13th like they haven't caught any of these teams <laughs> yet like right but that's the nature of the western conference like i was watching a game last night and there's houston taking down the philadelphia 76ers right or there's there's indiana also beating the golden state warriors in mm-hmm. san francisco and on any given night any team can win and the lakers have done a good job of course correcting their season and stabilizing things but to get to the next level like if they've won eight eight of ten over their next ten they need to be another like seven and three or six and four so over a 20 game stretch it's just like oh well they were 14 and six over a 20 game stretch or 15 and five and that's how you really climb in the standings it's not one pocket it's two pockets or out of four pockets it's three pockets like it's three of them and you've had You've had a good 30 game run where you're well over five, well, 500 and the Lakers did it to themselves that they need that in order to climb back in. But I would also argue that some of the early season struggles revealed what was needed in order to get this team to where they are now. I wish they would have won a couple of those games like along the way and sort of taken lessons from wins rather than having to take lessons from losses. Right. But here they are. And so I'm super thrilled with with where they're at. And I'm looking at this two game stretch here as like, I don't want to say the make or break of the road trip, but get one of these. And you're like you're like, oh, man, like I think they feel really good about themselves here. And, And so where are you guys at just in this in terms of this two game sample right here? Yeah, I'm in a similar spot of they need to get one of them. I think the Cleveland game for uh, several reasons is the more gettable one, but they're like 10 and one at home, Mike. They're a really good home team. Um, So let's start there, Mike. What do you see from tonight's game? A team we've already played. This will be the last matchup against them uh, this year. What do we need to do to beat Cleveland? So Jared Allen, I mentioned earlier, remains a question mark. And it's not to the level of Middleton where he hadn't played yet all season. Uh, and by the way, he Middleton just looked like he had played the previous game uh, when yep. he came in, like immediately hitting jumpers and playing well defensively. To, for me, so Jared Allen is not somebody that after Anthony Davis went against Brooke Lopez and Giannis and Porzingis, like the way that AD's mindset is right now, I'm I'm less sort of concerned whether or not Allen plays, because I think that he can attack this Cavs team regardless. But, you know, if he doesn't, it's just, 
you're going to get Robin Lopez then in some minutes, and you're going to get Mobley playing the center position more. And so I think that AD's almost become to the point where it doesn't matter who's out there. Like this way that he's playing, he's going to go and get stuff going. So I look at Cleveland. We were talking about this in the text thread. So Garland and Mitchell have been excellent when one of the other one is either not playing or not on the floor. And they haven't been great yet together um, on the court as they've figured out as, as happens, you know, with high usage type players as, okay, wait, what am I doing when you have the ball? Are you initiating this possession? Mm -hmm. I'm not used to spot up shooting, all that kind of stuff that, that has ebbed and flowed. So as well as Cleveland has played they're they're also lacking Dean Wade and they don't, they're kind of like the Lakers in some ways where they don't have a lot of connecting two way wing type players. Mm -hmm. And he was one of them. And that I think it like, so they're a little bit more one dimensional on offense and they're relying on either Garland or Mitchell to create. And then on defense, they're relying on some of that size and Allen might not be there. So I do think it's a good opportunity, especially considering how LeBron plays in Cleveland in the, the mode that AD is in for the Lakers to have some advantages uh, in, in this context. And, you know, they, like, I thought they played well in pockets against Cleveland a couple weeks ago, but that was a different mm -hmm. AD at that point yet. And, and so that shockingly, he remains the key to it. But I think that I like the matchup in some ways more than it might look like on paper going in. Where are you at Pete? Like, how, how are you looking at Cleveland, especially like, because their guards really did a good job against the Lakers the last game. And mm -hmm. it's like, still not a lot of solutions to exactly to and, to, for pull up shooting guards. Right. And if it's TB back there, right, it's really I'm focused on the 12 to 14 minutes or whatever, where AD is going to be on the bench, especially in that Mike brought up the that both Mitchell and Garland have been good when they're separate from each other. Well, that's the middle portion of the game. That's the part of the game where Thomas Bryant is on the court. So if Donovan Mitchell comes off of a ball screen and decides to get downhill and sees Thomas Bryant in front of him, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go right over the top of him. And, and so that's something that I think we're going to see more of the zone tonight. I'd love to talk more about that zone in a future pod because I do think that it's going to be important depending on the roster moves that we make. And it's also important to have a secondary look of which like we don't really have a switching roster because we've got so many small guards. So I don't think having a zone look is going to be important to our success because even though AD will be playing, you know, 36 minutes a game in important games. Plus, you can lose a game in those 12 minutes. And this is one of those games, D, where I'm at, like, we could lose this game in those 12 minutes, Mike. You know, I and I'm looking, I, you guys mentioned the two-game stretch and this game in Toronto. I'm almost looking at the four games and just thinking that, like, so AD said before the trip, what would be a successful trip? He said, well, over 500. And mm -hmm. you just got to go two and two in these next four to get to over 500. And not that you don't mm -hmm. want to be greedy, uh, if you're the Lakers, but these are, you know, barring Detroit on paper is not as tough as the other three. These are three tough games, but with the way the Lakers are playing and I think the way that Davis is going to get up for Embiid and, you know, I that's the context by which you look at the standings again. And you think that if you can if you can just not lose ground on what that is, two games under 500, getting through mm -hmm. a six game road trip and then have some new life going home and having kind of notched one of those long trips out of the way. That that's another way to look at this. These next four, one hundred percent, Mike. And I expect Philly to be better by the time that the Lakers see them in in a few days than what they showed against Houston. Like that was the first game back, I think for for Harden and Embiid has been banged up and Maxi remains out, but they're gonna find their stride a little bit, I think. Um, in getting back to the Cavs 
and then a little bit about the Raptors. Um, I'll be interested to see what tweaks Darwin might make to the game plan in compared to the last game, right? And and if he does it all, right? And so the Lakers played the Jazz twice in a very short period of time. Um, and the game plan really didn't change that much. And Utah hurt the Lakers in the same exact same way as they, mm-hmm. they, well, they hurt them the previous game. Um, but Cleveland, without Allen, their pick and roll game is a little bit different. And, um, and then I'll be interested to see like what these minutes look like with Kevin Love potentially as like the backup center. And so mm. one of the things that we talked about, like, oh, replacing Wendell Gabriel and what does that that look like? This could be a game where LeBron plays center some mm-hmm. if he's matched up against Kevin Love, for example, Agreed. or if the team goes zone. Right. And and so there's there's like a gazillion different ways that you could tweak things just a little bit it to try to gain an advantage here here or there and we're now past the quarter pole of the season and so this is where we do start to learn more and more about darvin ham particularly on like the second time through when you're facing an an opponent for the second time and how things things look different versus playing a team for the first time like they will against the raptors on well on wednesday right and so little things like that is how like junkies like us i feel like get yep. get our fix it's it's, <laughs> it's it's like oh show me what you did against this other team right so it's all great right Pete? it is and i love that we're going through it we're figuring out solutions we're growing we're a much better team than we were a month ago and that's all you can really ask for and that's the purpose of the regular season so got a couple good ones coming up a uh, good one tonight against the Cavs. we'll be back tomorrow to, dis- to discuss it but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Rebound is lying. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that a lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two, one. Listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble.
And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.